attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where Each week, I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Luis Murillo, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. Me too. I'm looking forward to this. Luis is an architect based in Los Angeles and the founder of LMD Architecture Studio. Luis, I would love to hear your origin story. I want you to go back as far as you want to go back and share when you discovered your passion for architecture and maybe even who or what inspired you to get started as an architect. Wow. Yeah, well, that's uh, something that is very, uh, how should I put it? It goes way back. I mean, I uh, started in Colombia. That's where I'm from. I was born and raised there. I received my architecture degree in 1994, but I don't know when exactly I discovered I wanted to be an architect. I think I can trace that back to my very early years when I developed this passion to assemble these Lego-like structures. Mm-hmm. There's a Colombian version of Legos. It's not quite the same as here, but you would put together actual buildings. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I must have been, I don't know, eight, nine years old. I didn't want to assemble the pre-set models. I wanted to just assemble my own structure. So I had to get like several boxes of these Legos so that I could assemble a <laughs> larger and more complicated structures. And 
that's how it all started. And I think that what I got from that was an ability to solve problems. The excitement that you feel when you are able to assemble a structure, something that can be used. And I think that at the end of the day, is all about problem solving. And that's how I see architecture. Somebody gives you a set of constraints, rules, desires, must-haves. So you just take all these pieces and you start assembling them <laughs> together. And then at the end of the day, when you look at this piece, it just makes sense. It, it solves somebody's problem, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Early on in my life, I didn't know that architecture was going to give me that. Actually, when I decided what to go to college for, I thought about engineering. And I went to civil engineering school in Bogota for uh, a couple of years. I think it was, yeah, like four semesters. And I'm like, all these math and everything... So precise, precise, not that architecture isn't, but it's just a different mentality. So uh, all the math and the calculus and the algebra, that's not what my passion was. It had to be something more that required a lot more creativity than using formulas. I imagine that. And I know structural engineers are very creative too, but it's just a different mindset. Yeah. So I switched to architecture and I, I'm like, okay, now we're talking. This is what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember, so at eight or nine, you were playing with those Legos like blocks and creating those structures and getting that feeling that you're creating something from nothing. Do you remember when you learned that there was a profession called architecture and that there were architects who did that for a profession? Do you remember that time in your life where you learned about architecture? Well, interestingly enough, my dad, he went to architecture school, but he never practiced as an architect. He got a job at a a governmental institution in Colombia, and although he was related to somewhat to it, he was more in charge of, I guess, accounting. Uh, he never really worked in architecture. And my mom also went to architecture school, I think, for a couple of years until she met my dad, and that was the end of it. But I don't remember ever talking about what they did or them even telling me that, hey, architecture, you know, we never really practiced it, but it's, it would be, we love it, it's good. No, I never had that. On the other hand, my dad had a lot of engineer, engineering friends yeah. or co-workers. So I got exposed somewhat to that, but architecture, so I, that was the closest yeah, idea I had. But so the context of architecture was there, right? So your mom and dad. It was there. It was there, but they never yeah. really talked about it because, as I said, they never practiced it. Right. So I guess life took them in different directions. But I think that 
genetically speaking, yeah, the passion for design, the passion you know, about uh, creating things, it was already there. It wasn't right. It was an unspoken thing, you know. Right. Or, <laughs> it was just a part of your life, right? Because it, yeah, I would imagine that if your mother and your father both went to architecture school. They had an interest in architecture, right? They were creative and they had this passion as well, right? If you're going to pursue architecture, mm -hmm. that's what your interest is, right? So, you know, their lives took them in different directions, mm -hmm. but it must have been part of your culture, right? As your family, your family's culture. Absolutely. And the fact that they gave you building blocks as toys, right? That's another thing, right? That's a common trait for architects in their origin story that Legos are a part of that story. Uh -huh, and I uh -huh. always wonder if, the Legos being introduced to the children at a young age inspire them to become architects or is the inspiration already there, right? And the Legos are brought to the kid because they already have that inside them. They like to create, they like to build. And so they're given these toys to play with because they know that they're interested in that. It's just something that always interests me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be some predisposition. There is some, I mean, because architecture isn't only designing things. You know, you hear all these stories about these kids that go to school thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to design things. And that's all great. And then you go out in the real world and you find yourself typing emails, right. dealing yes. with consultants, with running uh, businesses, running businesses, dealing with human resources. And when, when you take your 100% week and you actually calculate the percentage that you spend designing, uh, you know, uh, you could be disappointed you knew that that was 10%. Or right. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, there may be ways where you do more, but architecture has so many different components. You need to, first of all, you need to listen. That's one thing that... Architecture is about listening. You, you start going to these meetings early in the process and hearing your clients talk. And a lot of times you hear a husband and wife, they both have different ideas for what their house or their home <laughs> wants right. to be. And somehow you need to find this middle ground. You have to create this architectural piece that somehow makes both of them Happy or sometimes the kids also when they are of families, you know. Well, where do we put the rooms for the older kid? Do we want him to be separate from the other three? And so again, architecture, you need to take all these pieces. And there's the client desire, the the city constraint, there's the site constraint. So there's so many different things that come into play that more than design is you need to have the ability to extrapolate, to extract from, you know, take pieces, components from every single person or, or from every factor and assemble something that satisfies everything. Yeah, it's an amazing skill that we have, isn't it? I mean, and like you said, I think much of that needs to be innate, right? That's much of that needs to be part of who we are as people right. before we become architects, you know, in order to be successful to do that. And very often you don't even realize that that's part of architecture, right? Until later. Right. Yeah. Then you go to school and they 
teach you all the means and methods. Oh, okay. That's how you right. do this. That's how this thing stands the test of time. And yeah. So when you go for five years to school, they're just giving you some tools as to how to navigate. But I guess the passion for it is already wired, or at least for me, I think it was already wired. Yeah. You know, somewhere in there, I just had to discover it. I want to learn about your journey from Colombia to the U.S. Because you said early on that you went to school in Colombia. Correct. And today you're a successful firm in Los Angeles. And so how did you get from Colombia to the United States? What was that story? Yeah. First of all, well, I got to it in 1994. It's also kind of interesting because I had my girlfriend and then we were in love and then... <laughs> And I told my dad that I was getting married. In Colombia? In Colombia. And he said, okay, well, if you want me to go to your wedding, I need to see your diploma first. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I graduated on April 6, 1994. And I got married on April 30th, 1994. <laughs> so I worked there for about three years doing custom residential work. I was a on-site architect for the design and construction of a new five-story plus basement residential, you know, project. And then, you know, back then in Colombia, there was a lot of turmoil. Our president at the time, mm -hmm. there were a lot of talks about him being elected or money from the drug lords being involved or being used in the presidential campaign. And you would turn on the TV and all you would hear about was drugs and corruption. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I, I don't see myself growing up. And I've been, you know, I lived in Colombia for 30 years. So it was the guerrilla, the paramilitary, the drugs, the it's all this environment. I'm, I was so tired. And I had a friend, she's an architect in San Francisco. And somebody was looking for someone who knew how to draw in AutoCAD. And that was my thing back then, AutoCAD. So I was introduced to her. Then she was in Bogota, I remember, on, in September. She lives in San Francisco, but she was in Bogota in September 1996. And we were working one night. I was helping her with some projects in Bogota. And I told her, you know, Ana Maria, I'm not very happy here in Colombia. If you ever know of something, someone that needs, or if I can help you with something up there in the U.S., oh, I'll, I'll move. She's like, okay. So she came back to the States. And I remember it was December 24, 1996, I get this phone call from this guy who barely spoke any Spanish. He said, oh yeah, my friend Ana Maria told me you're looking for a job here in the States and she speaks very highly of you. If you are really serious about moving here, come up here. I have a job for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we listened to this message with my pregnant wife and my <laughs> one-year-old daughter was also there. A young family. <laughs> we had a family, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll move. So March 7, 1997, I moved to the States. I'm, my wife 
and my daughter stayed behind for a couple months. The guy who called me to Colombia, the end, he thought he didn't have as much work as he thought he was going to have. Well, long story short, he introduced me to this architect's friend here in Los Angeles who was needing somebody that was willing to work hard. I'm like, well, yeah, that's me. So I was introduced to this person. They helped me get my work permit and all that. And I, that's how I started my professional career here in the States. It was extremely difficult to say the least. I did not speak the language. I did not know any architectural terminology or materials and methods, nothing. I mean, I, I had a diploma that I had earned in Colombia. I had three years of experience working building with concrete and bricks and i come here they don't even well they don't use too many bricks here in california it's all wood mostly wood and steel so it was very very difficult those first couple of years i would i remember coming home and sometimes i would break in tears to my wife at night yeah i remember having meetings every wednesday the, there would be an office-wide meeting by then, that firm was about 20 people, all of them talking about things. And I'm sitting there in the in this meeting, not understanding 80% of what was being said at the time. So oh. those were very, very rough years. It, you don't realize how long it takes for someone to really comprehend a language. There's a lot of idiomatic expressions, things that no one teaches you at there's nothing in a textbook, right? <laughs> so there was that. There was also, like I said before, architectural terminology, all that. So I think it took me at least five years to really, really understand the language. I don't think my English is there yet, but I think it's good <laughs> enough to um, work in architecture to explain myself. Yeah. To understand my clients' desires. To be on an audio podcast, I think you're speaking pretty well. <laughs> that was the other thing. Because one thing is to have a conversation with someone in person. And so completely different when you get a phone call from a job site, from a general contractor asking you for a detail. On the phone, you can't see faces. You can see right. facial expression. You don't know. You know, when it's a one-on-one conversation in person, you kind of, you can guess a little bit right. <laughs> what is being asked from you. So that was the tough when I was promoted. So I first was a junior designer there. I quickly moved to job captain project manager. At the end of the 13 years I worked at that firm, I was the director or one of their architecture studios. I had, I think, 14 people. In my studio, I was also in charge of the quality control program and also the graphic standards program. So it was a very successful career at that firm. And to this day, we maintain a phenomenal relationship with them. I am a firm believer in never closing a door behind you. People change. We all take different directions or take different approaches on how we do things. But there's no reason for you to break a relationship in not a very good <laughs> manner. So 
again, we have an, a phenomenal relationship with them. In fact, when I decided to start my own business, this was back in 2010, mainly, it was mainly because we had taken a different approach to the process that ends up in an architectural or on a project. There were a lot of processes that I wasn't, I wasn't in line with some of the processes that were established and I was able to convey that to my boss at the time. And at the end of the day, we decided that it was a good idea to part ways. But I remained working with them as a consultant to finish six or eight projects that I was in charge. And my first large project, it was a major, major renovation for a client in Santa Monica was for a project that that company couldn't take at the time. So they gave these potential clients my name. Yeah. And that's how we got a jump start on our business. And that's a perfect example of why not to burn the bridge when you leave, right? That when- exactly. That's a good expression. Yeah. Burn bridges. Never. Keep that relationship open. Keep the bridge built so you know they can help you and you can help them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and to this day, I'm working on one project where this company was hired to do the initial design, the schematic design, and the homeowner hired us to do the construction documents to be the executive architect. So we collaborate and we've done this for like three or so projects throughout the years. It's been 13 years since I left my first professional home in the States and we still remain in touch. I'm very proud of that. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily, accessible, and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us 
and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today, the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at EntreeArchitect.com. When you left that firm, did you know that you're going to start your own firm or yes. did you just, okay. So what was the inspiration for starting your own firm and not going to another firm? I wanted to do things my own way. I think, or I am a very efficient person. I don't like to spend, uh, I mean, you have to spend time in meetings, obviously, because you need to gather all the information. But it gets to a point where it's all about being proactive, being efficient, communicating well with your clients and with everyone else in the team. And I thought, I have the tools. I have in me, I believe I have what it takes. And I didn't want to necessarily start looking for for someone else that would take advantage of my capabilities. I thought I could do it <laughs> on my own. And yeah. that was it. And, you know, I just set up shop in a, we had a detached garage in that house where we used to live. And on that detached garage, I started the business. My wife, she has a degree in business administration. So that came very, Handy. I'm not very yeah. good at handling money. Not that I spend it or anything. I just don't care that much about that part of life. The money, keeping, accounting, you know, all that, yep. bookkeeping, that's not really my area of expertise. And having her doing that is awesome. I mean, I trust her dearly. I'm like, hey, as long as when I go to a restaurant and I swipe that card and <laughs> goes through, that's, that's all if I'm going to, yeah. if I need to buy a part for my bicycle, as long as it works, my, my credit card works, then <laughs> we're all good. And that's how we operate. I handle, so my wife is my business partner also. She handles everything that has to do with marketing, with human resources, with personnel everything that has to do with supplies in the office. And that's one thing, you know, if I ever, I couldn't wish for a better partner, I guess, professional partner, because I can focus on project management. Yeah. And she can focus on that other extremely important part of the business. Yeah, that's very important, right? Because the business side must be done. Right. In order to run a business, you have to run a business. And if the architect doesn't want to run the business, then they need to find someone else to run that business because you will never succeed. Mm -hmm. You'll struggle and fail throughout your career, which many architects do mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. they don't have somebody helping them with the business side. Right. And so that's very important. It's certainly a key to the success of your firm is to have that person in place. The work that you do is beautiful. Thank you. High-end modern residential architecture primarily, right? That's primarily what you do. Correct. How did you establish yourself in that market in Los Angeles? 
that's another interesting question. I mean, I don't know that I purposely went in that direction. For the company I used to work for, I was doing a lot of traditional projects, contemporary projects. And when I say traditional, I mean like different styles, like Spanish colonial, East Mm -hmm. Coast-oriented architecture. I mean, a French villa-inspired architecture. I personally have always been more drawn to less in more simplicity, being practical. But I I don't know that on purpose I said I'm only going to take projects that are contemporary in flavor. It just so happened that maybe me, my personality, I don't know how to explain it, but nine out of 10 of our clients approaches with the idea of something contemporary, open space, light, airy, beachy, a lot of indoor-outdoor connections. The building blends with nature. There's not like formal spaces. It just happened to be that way. And again, it also happens to be what I feel more comfortable developing. It's uh, interesting. It just happened that way. So you're in a market in L.A., that appreciates that, right? That appreciates Correct. modern architecture. You know, LA, lots of successful people that have the money to be able to build homes of that stature. Mm-hmm. And so you're in you're in a market that looks for that. Then you are skilled at that and have a tendency or desire to design in that way. You have a marketing partner, right? A business partner who <laughs> then takes that interest in that skill that you have and markets it to the market, right? Promotes it to the market. And reinforces that flywheel, right? That you do that great work, that work goes out into the market, that market's attracted back to the work that you do, Mm -hmm. uh, and you get more of it. And then you serve them well, and you design well, and that continues to grow. Correct. And so you can learn more about Luis's firm and see some of the architecture that he's done at lmdarchitecture.com. That's the website. Beautiful residential architecture. Luis, I have one more question before we wrap things up and before my final question, but I want to go back to, you had said earlier when you came from Colombia to the United States and you were in that period, that four or five years of transition from Colombia to the United States, that it was really difficult, right? That to the point where you were in tears. Was there any moment in time in during that period where you regretted it or wanted to give it up and go back because it was so difficult? <laughs> no, not at all. And that's one of our core values, funny enough, persistence. You know, once I take a step and I don't take steps lightly, I mean, it may seem that, you know, leaving my country, leaving everything I knew overnight with my young family seems it is an aggressive step. But it wasn't a decision that I took very lightly. I had been thinking about it for months. I wasn't happy where I was. Once I managed to convince my wife that this was the right move for us, we went full speed ahead. And that's how I approach life and business in general. You know, I just go, go. I put down my best effort on everything. Did I feel sometimes 
like overwhelmed with everything that was being thrown at me. Yes, I did, but I had to find always the one thing that keeps me going, whether it's passion for what I do, whether it's the need to support my family. And when it comes to projects, again, I am given given a set of constraints. I'm given all the pieces of the puzzle and I will not rest until I've managed to <laughs> to assemble the puzzle. Speaking of puzzles, I can't really get a puzzle and I get them often because I spent three days sitting on that thing <laughs> until, <laughs> until it's done. Mm-hmm. And I finish those puzzles and I actually take them to the store and frame them and put them as art pieces in my house. That's how I operate. It's called, I don't know, being persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> so I could see how you would come here and you just never look back, always look forward. What's the next step, right? If it's difficult, what's the next step to get to where I want to go? Keep that vision in mind and just keep moving forward until you achieve it. Yeah. I remember also a very quick story. When I was first working for that firm, I remember like, you know, there were other people being interviewed or other new employees and they would always be thinking about what the company was giving them. What were their break times in the morning or in the afternoon Mm -hmm. when the next vacation would be, what the pay was, what tools the company was going to give them to perform the work. That's not how I saw things at that time. And partially is the fact that I grew up in a, I mean, we were not poor by any means, but, you know, we had limited resources. You have to make the best with what you have. So you learn to adapt. You learn to, well, the printer isn't working. What do I do? Well, let's draw a sketch very quickly by hand. Boom, boom, boom. I cannot be wasting time making copies or money making copies. Like I do think that people make a lot of copies here, (laughs) prints and things. So in Colombia, I grew up being very efficient with my time, with the resources I had. And when I moved to the States, it wasn't what the company was going to do for me. They had given me the opportunity to transition from where I was to here. So my approach was like, well, I need to show them that they made the right decision by hiring me, by signing my work permit and all that. So I was always like, okay, what else can I do? How else can I do better my work? So I had to do my best to keep my company <laughs> happy. Yeah, And that was a substantially different approach than what I saw the other, I don't know if you even title is the right term for that. You know, some people that think that, oh, sure. well, you want me to work for you? What are you going to give me? That wasn't my mentality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and certainly has been a key factor in your success, not only through that firm, but to the success of your firm today. I think so. I think so. It's 
you know, always going the extra mile, doing the best that I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say, Luis, would be one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? We're listening. We are being listened to by thousands of architect business owners. You've built a successful business from scratch. What would you say is one thing that a small firm architect could do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think listening is a key component of what we do. Architecture, as we've been talking about, is the ability to solve problems. It's the ability to take a lot of different components and assembling them together and make sure that the end result responds or is a solution to the problem that was given to you. And the only way in my mind to come up with an object, architectural object that responds to somebody else's needs is to really listen to what is being told to you in those initial meetings. So we do spend a lot of time early on in the process listening. We came up with these questionnaires where we're, we give our clients like, hey, okay, why are you doing this? Why this property? Why this location within that city? How do you entertain? Do you enjoy music? Do you enjoy natural light? Do you enjoy? So it's about inquiry, always inquiry. Like, okay, just try to get to the bottom as to why people is doing or embarking in this complex process of architecture. So I think that's that's mostly what I think makes a project successful, your ability to listen, truly listen to your clients early in the process. And then during the process, communicate. Communicate constantly. Give your clients weekly updates as to where you are, what your schedule is, what do you anticipate is upcoming in the next few weeks or months. So just keep everyone informed. His name is Luis Murillo. The firm is LMD Architecture Studio. The website is the same, lmdarchitecture.com. Luis, thank you for sharing your fascinating story. I love your story coming from Colombia to the United States, building a successful high-end residential modern architecture firm. Fantastic story. Thank you for sharing your story at Entre Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for having me. It isn't difficult to have this type of conversations. I just, I enjoy talking about who we are and how we got where we are. And you guys, you know, just giving me this chance to share these stories with you just brings back so many good memories that actually help me keep going, keep doing what I'm doing and then see what other stories I can developed in the next 25 years (laughs) so thank you so much mark yeah well in 25 years you can come back and share your story with (laughs) the next 25 you're welcome thanks for that i appreciate that all right thank you mark 
If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. 
Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.